0: In this episode of Artsy Engineering Radio, Steve and Ash talk about hiring practices to avoid, how Artsy hires engineers, and the right questions to ask in an interview. Hope you like it. Hey friends, welcome to Artsy Engineering Radio, a podcast about solving problems in the world of software engineering from your friends at Artsy. I'm Steve Hicks. Uh, an engineer at Artsy, and I'm here today with Ash.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Ash. I'm also an engineer here at Artsy.
0: So Ash and I have talked a little bit um, in previous episodes about uh, stuff. Today, we want to really kind of get back at a discussion that we started over a blog post, I guess. Um, We want to talk about hiring and um, how does Artsy hire engineers because it's different than how... Well, anywhere else that I've worked hires mm-hmm. engineers, and in my opinion, it's better than anywhere else that I've worked. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's quite so. Different. It, it is cool. So um, we'll we'll point you to there or point you to this in the the show notes. But there's a blog post that Ash, myself, and uh, Lily Pace worked on, published. Uh, it's it's over a year ago, I think, but it's it's all about how Artsy hires engineers. And we'll just do kind of a quick recap here to set the tone of the conversation. We started out there talking about how Artsy is different, right? Um, and the things that stood out to me were things like, we don't do whiteboarding. We don't have homework or take-home assignments. There's no, there's no on-the-spot coding where somebody's looking over your shoulder and, and checking to see if you're doing things right. Um, Ash, what, uh, what did you pick up from that? Like, what's different about how Artsy hires?
1: Yeah, I mean the like the the things that you just mentioned are really good examples of things like not to do, um, or or things that we don't do for a good reason. So to dive in a little bit more on those before we get to like what we really like to do instead, um, like mm-hmm. no trick questions, um, no whiteboarding, that kind of thing is um, is really important. I think it's it's like. I see engineering questions of like okay, can you tell me how you would estimate how many ping pong balls would fit inside the cabin of a 747 or something like that or like estimate the number of manholes in New York <laughs>
0: right. It's just
1: like it's that's not what the job is um so you're not really testing for the thing that that you're hiring for you're testing for the ability to to perform to think on the spot which you know is is valuable but but ultimately you put the candidate under a lot of uh, under a lot of pressure um Definitely. And, and when I interviewed at artsy, like it was, it was, um, you know, it was quite a while ago now, but even at the time there was no, um, there's no coding even like I was, I was kind of like really surprised by that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, 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 was sort of suspicious of it as I was going through the process. I was like, okay, when do we do the, when do we do the trick questions or when do we do, um, you know the the take home assignment, or when do you actually look at my code? And and that never really happened. But I do remember having a lot of good conversations with people, and and uh, the people who were interviewing me, and you were one of them, really digging into um, you know my past and the things that I had done there, and um, uh, kind of poking poking at the technical my technical abilities and technical experience from that direction. Like what, what have you done and what, how would you change the things that you've done? And, um, and, and so you could tell that, that, that stuff was there. It was just, it just wasn't what I was used to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's evaluating, like it's evaluating your skills differently. And I think that 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 changes the skills that you're evaluating for, yeah. right? Uh, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead, but like it, it evaluates for things like ability to communicate complex ideas uh, succinctly. It, it uh, evaluates for how you can empathize with other engineers, your past self. I, that's that's always an interesting one, and mm-hmm. you can't you can't really you can't really uh, evaluate some of those things by asking someone to to do like a fizz buzz exercise on, right. on a whiteboard.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. As, as we talk about some of these really, the things that we don't like to do, I'm, I'm remembering probably the worst interview experience of my life where I, I, at one point I was whiteboarding and I was in a big room full of maybe eight to 10 other um, engineers interviewing me. And, um, they were, it was in the afternoon and they were having a good time and they just, it was like, you know, let's hang out and joke around. And I was at the whiteboard and at one point I was so, uh, frustrated and taken aback that I just turned on. I'm like, should I just go? Um, because I, I felt like the, the interview was not about me at all. It was about them just having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and that is absolutely not the kind of thing that um, I experienced at Artsy. It was smaller conversations, fewer people. Uh, and actually I think the, the interview process or the interviews with people at Artsy were there was one, one other person in the room, which um, put a, a lot less pressure on me.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. And sometimes Artsy will, um, will have pairing interviews um, so that that's the case where um like if I'm interviewing someone for a role, um, and another engineer is interested in helping a, helping Artsy interview in the future, then I'll have them kind of shadow me as an interviewer. Um, but we're we're always upfront about that with the with the candidate, and and you know it, it's not something where uh, it's like an expanded audience where we're sort of like uh, asking you to perform again. Like that that whiteboard experience you described is is one that I've had, and I've uh, I don't want to inflict that on anyone else.
0: Yeah, it's it's miserable, really miserable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So in that in that blog post that we're referring to, we talked a lot about what uh, what we felt was wrong with a lot of those techniques, like the whiteboarding. Um, we talked about how that's often really focused on details that people won't be using in their job day to day. You know, it might be you might be asked to like you know do some sort of algorithmic thing that you aren't really going to do mm-hmm. uh, on a regular basis and it's, it's, it is a lot of stress that it puts on people. Um, there are some other techniques we talked about too. Um, we talked about, we talked about in-person coding and the, the amount of stress that that puts on somebody to, to perform.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, were there others that you, that stood out to you that we talked about?
1: Yeah. The, the real one that, um, uh, that stood out to me was the take-home assignment. Um, this is, I feel like it's getting less common now, but, uh, uh, when we wrote the blog post nearly two years ago, wow, time flies. Um, when we wrote it, it was pretty common to hear that, um, from, from candidates coming into artsy or, um, even just looking around like what other companies were doing, they do uh, take home assignments and they're really, I, I have a, I have a bit of a beef with them. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, if you put, the coding assignment at the beginning of the interview process it's really it's really unfair to the candidate you're asking them to do a significant amount of work and you know as a filter for you to be able to hire more easily or more efficiently so it, it's really like the power dynamics between artsy and uh prospective um engineer are are such that like it it's I would even say it's almost like unethical for companies to really put that burden early in the process. Mm-hmm. So so what's the other, the, the other option is to put the take-home assignment at the end of the process. But at that point, you already know a lot about how the candidate works, or at least we do based on the questions that we ask. So it's not really informative at the end of the process. Um, so if, if it's not helpful at the beginning and it's not helpful at the end, then uh, I don't know, it just... Um, it, it's it's not helpful for the company and it eliminates a lot of candidates who don't have the time to um, to devote to this people with um, people who are caregivers for, for children or other family members, um, people who have other jobs, you know, like someone trying to break into software engineering, like as their as their first role, like is going to be stressed, uh, strapped for time uh, in a way that um, other engineers aren't. So it's uh, it's just a, a bad time all around.
0: It really is. I also have a, a big personal beef with take-home assignments, and it's it's a lot of the stuff that you talked about, and it's also the amount of time that you're asking them to invest in in um in your homework, without considering that if they're looking for another job, they're probably interviewing other places too. So mm. if you're giving them four hours of homework, you know there might be three other places that they're interviewing that are also giving them two to 12 hours of homework. And so now they've got, you know, 20 hours of homework that they're supposed to be doing for these interviews. And, and I think that uh, one thing you said that really resonates is that uh, a lot of these techniques are putting the onus and the responsibility on the candidate to do the work instead of the, uh, the hiring um, team to do the work and um, make it easier for the person uh, interviewing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I think that um, the way that Artsy approaches uh hiring engineers is is really like we're trying to um sell artsy to the candidate as much as we are trying to evaluate the candidate um in terms of their skills. You know, like right. the we leave time at the end of every interview to you know answer their questions. And that's a real great opportunity um to to kind of like sell them on artsy. Like um, if someone asks you know like uh, a really technical question then it's like okay they're interested in like the the really like deep dive technical aspects of artsy and i can I can kind of tell them about all the cool stuff we do or maybe they ask like a more of a um a, a teamwork question and i can i can really dive into like how artsy functions as a team as an organization um and those are um those are opportunities for us to um truly really sell the candidate on, on why they should get excited about, uh, about working for RTC too. So you lose out on that as a, as an opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Yeah. The, the take home stuff, I, I, it just, it just kind of makes me mad when, <laughs> uh, when, when that's how you evaluate people. Yeah, I I just don't think that people recognize. I was actually, I was working on something uh, about a week ago. I was, oh, that's what I was doing. I was setting up a project for, um, we're trying to get a relay peer learning group together. And um, I was just kind of stubbing out a project that would have the that have all the dependencies that we needed like we wanted to have relay installed and it'd be a react app and whatever else um, and there wasn't a whole lot of pieces involved but it still was basically you know 2 3 hours of just faffing around and and trying to get all these pieces to work together and and when you go when you get a homework assignment that asks you to just spin up this app that's going to use these three or four technologies that you've never used before. And Oh, by the way, we want you to do that. And we want you to build some features and Oh, we want you to do that all within four hours. That's just such an unrealistic ask to me. That's it's like, it's, it's not acknowledging the fact that we're all really, really awful at estimating time (laughs) and the amount of time that it takes to do something that involves, uh, dependencies that you haven't used before it just it escalates and and so I mean yeah four hours it's it could take me that like just to set up the app mm-hmm. um,
1: yeah exactly.
0: I, I I, wish I, that was something that people recognized more
1: definitely I've never spent four hours on a four hour coding assignment like it's it just doesn't come out in the wash
0: <laughs> yeah. Right, that's the other thing. Like you're trying to impress these people, mm-hmm. you're not going to do the bare minimum. You're going to make it look like you know what you're doing, uh, which happens to be longer than the time that it took you to do that than they expected you to do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if you shift the the coding exercise to be in person, like the the we've done, we've tried pairing uh, uh, interviews at C and it doesn't really give us a lot of extra. Like detail um, that we don't get out of the the kind of questions that we do ask, and and the mm-hmm. um, the behavioral interview style that we have, um, so it, it just doesn't. I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is that like coding and. Uh, coding and math are very like similar in terms of like the, the skill set and how you think about things, the sort of like approach you take. Um, if you're doing like mental math, for example, um, that, that feels very similar to, um, to like coding on the spot in front of someone. And we know that, um, uh, mental math skills, um, they drop really dramatically when you put people under pressure, when you give them anxiety, when you remind them about the stakes of the, um, assignment that you're giving them beforehand. Um, yeah high stakes really hamper math skills and it makes sense that that they would hamper uh hiring performance as well. And you might say, you know, um, well, we want someone who who works well under pressure. Well, okay, maybe. Maybe for certain jobs, um, like a, a site reliability engineer, for example, you might need someone to be able to handle pressure really well. But why not give them that kind of pressure that like why not simulate what you're actually hiring for? It's it's that sort of like uh, the same reason why it doesn't make sense to ask brain teasers about estimating ping pong balls. It's like, that's not what you do. You know, the the pressure that you're under in a job interview is the, is very different from the pressure that you're under day to day as a software engineer. Um, so if you really do want to evaluate how someone works under pressure, again, I still think that behavioral interviewing um, questions are the way to go.
0: Yeah. I do like that, that idea of pairing. I haven't, um, really experience that type of interview, and that feels closer to what mm-hmm. we're describing. Like, this is actually what you're going to be doing. And this is how the, uh, we pair a decent amount at artsy and it varies from team to team and from person to person, but it's definitely present. And so, yeah, I think if you're, if we were doing a pairing interview, that would be demonstrating a technique that they would be using on a, maybe not daily, but definitely a couple times weekly basis.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: We we talked about the other techniques that we don't like, but I don't we haven't really gone in depth into what it is that we do, what the artsy mm-hmm. process looks like. Um could you describe that for me?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um there's there's like a, a less formal, we call it an informational session near the beginning, um, where we just talk to the candidate and see, you know, are are they interested in artsy? Um, why are they interested in artsy? you know, just kind of get a feel for, um, for if they'd be a a good fit, you know, this is a time when a lot of, um, this is kind of like the, the, the filtering process a bit. We, we can do that more in like the recruitment team um, helps out a lot here. It used to be that engineering um, did this ourselves, but now it's, it's kind of like, uh, the recruiting team at artsy has these conversations uh, with the candidates. Uh, they're not technical conversations. They're the same mm-hmm. conversations that anyone applying for a job at artsy would get, even if they were like a applying for a sales position or, um, or as a, as an accountant or, or anything. So that sort of informational process um, leads to uh, about a half day of of interviews. Um, these used to be conducted in person. Um, we would fly candidates into um, into the office. Um, I believe you you flew into New York. Interview. I did. Yeah. Um, nowadays it's uh, <laughs> well. I mean, back in the day, <laughs> fun.
0: it wouldn't be fun today.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah. Today it's all over Zoom, and um, and I've done quite a few um, quite a few interviews for Artsy over Zoom. And, and I've, I've gotten, I've gotten used to, it. I think candidates have also gotten used to it. So, so it's about a half day of interviews for uh, four is the number we shoot for. And among that, uh, among that four include a non-engineer. Um, so someone, maybe a designer, that would be great. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe uh, maybe this is like a backend engineer and um, maybe they're going to be talking with the product manager or maybe even a salesperson. Like it, it really, um, we try to get the perspective of of not just the engineering team because engineers at Artsy don't work with just the engineering team. We work with the whole company. But we also have um, three slots for engineers. Um, one of them is around systems design. Um, I, I mean, these are all kind of like... Uh, uh, depending on the role, sometimes we'll do system design and then technical fluency and shop talk, or maybe we'll do a little bit more of a deeper dive on some um, specifics of of technical fluency. Like, you know, if, if we're trying to, to hire like a senior React engineer, we might, you know, ask them uh, to go into a lot more detail about how they've used React on Teams, uh, some of the problems they faced. But all of these... Um, all of these different, like themed interviews, um, the the interviewers given a standard set of questions with a, a standard rubric. We've um, we've put the interviewers through training. We've had them shadow other interviewers. We've um, trained them for uh, implicit bias and, and how to um, how to conduct a, a good interview that produces consistent results. Uh, the the ideal um experience is that if you are a candidate and you interview with me or you interview with Steve or you interview with a different engineer, um, you, we get the same result out of that. Um, and the way we do that is through behavioral questions. So um, one one question um we might ask is can you tell me about a time that you refactored some code? Why did you refactor it? How did you decide to refactor it? You know, why, why then and not earlier? Was it to Fix the bug. Was it to um, you know, like really let the candidate, you know, use that as a jumping off point to talk about a specific situation um, that they that they've uh, been in, and then really dig into the details there. Like, okay, so you you had a bug, and fixing the code was difficult because um, it was messy. So you decided to refactor it to make fixing the bug easier. So then we might you know kind of dive in a little bit. Like, okay, so in the refactoring process how did you um know that the refactor wasn't going to break the code in some other way were there unit tests how did you did you have like a manual testing strategy like whatever the candidate's answer is being really attentive and looking for the the opportunities to dig into a little bit more detail, trying to find out like how they think, how they um, empathize, you know, whatever the the focus of that interview is, whether it's um, technical fluency or whether it's um, the ability to empathize and and communicate effectively, whatever that is, digging into the details of the situation through that lens, if that makes Mm -hmm.
0: sense. It does. You kind of listed, you didn't kind of, you did list a few different questions that you would ask that sounded uh, that hit on the more technical stuff. Like, why did you refactor? Um, what did you want to do differently? I'm curious, do we, we have different sets of questions based on the, the role that you're interviewing for in terms of like back end, front end, but then also uh, level of experience. Uh, so are, are we going to ask the same questions to someone um, who is m- uh, more of a junior level versus senior level? Or are they going to get different questions there?
1: That's a really good question. Um, to be honest, I, I've only been interviewing. Um, uh, I've been interviewing for technical fluency, and I've been interviewing uh, almost exclusively junior engineers over the past uh, ten months or so at R C. So I'm not sure. sure if if we have different questions for um, senior engineers. It it wouldn't surprise me, but um, but I think that uh, it also wouldn't surprise me if they're the same, because uh, right you know, it's, it's a jumping off point to, to dive into the details.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, I do think what you're describing sounds like it, uh, the interviews with the non-engineers the interviews with the engineers, it just all really points to we're evaluating for their ability to communicate these technical ideas, these non-technical ideas, um, everything in between, uh, and really making sure that they, like you said, um, that everyone is part of a team at artsy and and we do a lot of collaboration. Um, and that's, uh, that's really what we want to make sure of when we interview people is that they're the kind of people that are going to be able to collaborate with uh, people from all, all different positions, all different roles.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it would be really counterproductive for us to evaluate for um, specific technical skills. Like, Maybe maybe React would be like general enough to to evaluate for, but we're not looking for someone to have experience with Mongo specifically, or Postgres specifically, or um, TypeScript specifically, because you know the the ability to learn is a lot more important to us. Like if someone doesn't know how um, how Postgres works, we can teach them, but um, if someone is um, If someone uh, really takes to learning new things easily, if they're excited to learn, um, that's that's more of uh, what we're looking for. Uh, The the ability to communicate, the ability to learn and grow um, is a lot more important to us than any sort of experience with a specific technology, because we can give you that experience. um, Right.
0: Right. Yeah. I I mean, you just described several technologies that I had zero experience with before I came to RT. Um So if we did hire only for experience that you already have, I would not have gotten a job at RT because <laughs> I did, we're, we're heavily uh, favoring rails on the back end. I had zero rails experience before I started. Didn't know anything about Mongo or Postgres. I mean, I knew what they were, but had no experience with them. So mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Um, and, and like on my side, um, having been here since 2014, like I was hired as an Objective-C iOS engineer, and we don't write Objective-C anymore. Uh, Swift yeah. was announced since I joined, and Artsy helped me learn that. And then we pivoted to working on uh, React Native, and I learned that. And uh, like the technology that we use as Artsy engineers um, changes as we work here. So uh, it really doesn't make sense to evaluate in this sort of like static um, snapshot. It's almost like, um, like a fixed mindset approach to uh, interviewing.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely, definitely. So we're talking about how we do evaluate technical aptitude as these behavioral questions. The part that's a bigger black box to me is uh, after the the in, the interviews with um, engineers and non-engineers on site or over Zoom, now we move on, move on to this reference check step. And mm-hmm. I don't really know what happens there
1: yeah that's um that's the the last step in our in our process and it's uh it's a pretty important one artsy puts a lot of emphasis on the reference check process there is a um uh, a blog post written by um a really old timer uh, artsy engineer i read a few years ago and he described um artsy engineering's uh, secret sauce is its engineering process which is kind of funny because here we are talking about how it works in detail. So it's not exactly a secret sauce, but, um, but it helps us, um, with our culture and everything and, um, with hiring great people and the reference checks is probably like the secret sauce. Uh, if I, Mm -hmm. if I could like, um, dive in a little bit into, uh, into that idea. So, um, the first thing that the um, so the reference checks are, are done by our uh, our hiring team again. It's not done by engineers. I've sat in on them um, and I've no. helped conduct them, but they've um, been driven by our hiring team. So the first thing they do is follow up on anything that um, the interviewer has left as uh, as notes. So if there is uh, something to um, to look out for, or if someone describes something that that uh, didn't quite Feel right or, or didn't we didn't get the detail that we were looking for um, we'll ask to follow up there and maybe an engineer helps with that part if it's like a technical aspect but um, I, I don't I don't believe that's often the case um, and so after after that's done um, we do uh, a number of reference checks it, it's it's a detailed phone call I'd say probably 30 to 45 minutes um, it's almost like a, an interview, for the the candidate, but we're not interviewing the candidate. We're interviewing their references, um, right? And it's quite it's quite detailed. I I won't go into like all of the specific questions we ask, but the one that really stuck out to me as as important was trying to um, trying to determine how the candidate uh, is going to grow, is interested in growing, um, where where they have left to grow to to really become like a. Um, Whatever the next level of their career is going to be. So what we'll do is ask, like, okay, so of all the people you've worked with in this capacity, where would you rank your? uh, Where would you rank the candidate? Um, And we're not really interested in the number. I mean, if someone says like number one, that's that doesn't really happen that often. But you know, (laughs) say they say like, oh, this is like the the fifth. Fifth best uh, engineer I've worked with in this specific capacity, you know, or tenth or whatever. It doesn't really matter. What what we're looking for is the follow up question. Okay, so say the person is the fifth um, fifth most effective at their job. What would it take for them to move to fourth? Like, what what changes would they have to make? What areas would they have to grow in in order to attain that next level of their career? And right this is this is looking for like that sort of growth mindset of like, okay, so we have this person, here they are. If they join Artsy, then we're going to want to help support them. So, you know, is that, is that a thing that we can do and making sure that, um, that we can support them because it doesn't really make sense to hire someone if, if they're not going to have a, a successful career at Artsy. So, so that's how we, we sort of think about things is like, we have um, a person, um, we have a candidate, we're trying to evaluate them from a references perspective and asking a lot of the same sort of behavioral questions. Can you tell us a time that's, that the person had to solve a problem that they didn't expect or tell us a time, um, you know, this would be a great way to evaluate some of those things that you can't do, like um, the, the, uh, being under pressure that we mentioned earlier. Can you tell us about a time that the candidate had to solve a complicated problem under pressure and, um, this is like a way for us to get another perspective on that. Um, it, like, I know that's a, that's a lot. I'm curious um, what I can clarify about that, that process.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I th- I think what you described makes a lot of sense. It sounds like honestly references really matter and who as a candidate you choose as your reference has uh, a lot more importance because they have to be a person that is going to, know enough about you to be able to have, I think you said, a half hour conversation mm-hmm. um, with, with Artsy ab- about you and your your growth and, and how you would want to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that we run into, do you know, is like when we are talking to references, they maybe don't have enough knowledge about how this person could grow? Or I suppose that's mm-hmm. the wrong way to ask it because I think everyone has an opinion on how ev- on others can grow,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: maybe how they want to grow is, is more what I'm looking at.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really great question because like the references that I used um, were like one of them was my um, my honors thesis advisor from university. And I had been at a school for a number of years at that point. Mm-hmm. And so using, using that professor as a reference was uh yeah, you know, I was a little bit worried about it, to be honest, but um but it it worked out fine because the 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 it's not one person's perspective. This is why we insist on like multiple references um because like sometimes you don't have like uh, you know we're we're like I said, we're interviewing this reference, and not everyone interviews particularly well. We don't want the references <laughs> ability right. to communicate to impact um the candidate's success. So uh, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, like the the nice thing about this approach is that um, we do get those different perspectives, and that's really helpful. For um, I'm thinking of one reference check that I was um, I sat in on as uh, as an observer, where the candidate like this was going to be their first engineering role, and we asked the same kind of questions that we normally ask of um, of anyone applying at artsy uh, that gets to the reference check stage and you know the um they came from a non-traditional background we're talking to we're talking to someone who worked with them in like a non-engineering capacity and they were still like like the reference uh, that reference call like passed flying colors for sure because they um described how the candidate was like you know, I don't want to get into specifics, but like oh they're, they're um, really good at thinking on their feet. Um, they're really resourceful, they come up with ideas and then um, execute on them on their own. Um, and it kind of gives us like that freedom to evaluate those those kinds of uh, intangible, softer skills um, yeah. without um, like you can't get that um, without a sort of behavioral approach. I, I don't think.
0: Yeah, definitely. you can't ask someone to their face. Uh, are you a good communicator? or uh, I mean, you can. You, I, I don't think you can necessarily put a whole lot of stock in their answer.
1: yeah, yeah, e- exactly. I mean, oh boy, I don't even know. like I consider myself a effective communicator, but if someone just asked me point blank, I would stumble and I would just kind of clam up and. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I've done this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's like this in Canada, Ash, but uh, in the Midwest we struggle with humility, and so yes, if you were going to ask me that question, it'd be a whole lot of uh, deflecting and, mm-hmm. and answering a different question or talking about how good someone else was at communicating, mm-hmm. like you, for <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Another question I have about the the reference checks is: Do we put? You, you mentioned that you. Uh, one of your references was um, someone from university uh, and I'm curious, do we put like any different weight on who the references are? So do we take the, do we, do we value specific calls more than we value other calls?
1: That is a good question. Um, I mean, I, I guess to, to round out the the description of our process, um, the reference checks uh, are done by our hiring team and then they regroup with the hiring manager, the person um, the engineer who's responsible for making sure this job gets filled by someone successful. Um, and I, I believe that would be a discussion up to them. Um, you know if if someone has a reference that they haven't worked with for a decade or, or something like that, that might be um, that might be something that they take into account. but uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I would suspect that um, it's probably on a case by case basis. Sure, That makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool, Ash. We should uh, we should wrap this conversation up pretty quick. So before we do, I guess I just want to ask if you have any recommendations on if you're someone who's interested in getting hired at Artsy, uh, what should you do? You definitely don't have to sit down and and go over your algorithm textbooks. Like that's not a thing that we're going to drill you on. Uh, but Obviously, everyone wants to prepare as best they can. What does that look like?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, there are a couple of resources, and we'll have links to all of these in the show notes. But um, the, the blog post that we mentioned at the top of the show, How Artsy Hires Engineers, um, that's a really great one to read um, in general. There is uh, another blog post that we wrote um, a few years ago. It's not specific to Artsy, but it has a lot of good advice in it. That's uh, how to get your first iOS job. Um, it talks about how to um, structure your um, resume and cover letter. It has the cover letter that I wrote to apply to Artsy, um, how to really um, uh, sell yourself as, as someone like really interested in working on Artsy's problems and working on problems the way that Artsy does. So check those two out. Um, just check out the blog in general. To be honest, um, you know, get a sense if this is uh, if this is a team that you'd like to work on. Once you uh, once you have a sense of that, um, you can head over to artsy.net/jobs, slash and that has a, a list of um, all of the, the um, jobs that we're, we're currently uh, hiring for. Um, we've got offices in New York and in London and Berlin, and uh, neither of us on this uh, uh, podcast are based in those cities, so. So don't worry about that either. Just uh, check out the job and get in touch. Great.
0: Ash, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, Steve.